Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic Astrology. Our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Penny. What are we going to talk about today? Hi, Ben. Well, I think we are going to continue, actually. The topic of the Sampradaya is understandably huge. And I really wanted to get into how is the Sampradaya effectively continued. And there's a particular structure that really ensures that it gets passed along in a very uh, beautiful, um, complete way. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about that structure. Okay. And then a little, a little bit about um, this word vidya, which is a, uh, Jyotish is described as a vidya. And I thought I would go into what that might mean as well. Let's, let's move ahead. Now, were you going to start with a mantra? Well, it's uh, actually, since I'm talking about the tradition and how it uh, gets passed along. Um, doing the mantra, the one that we were discussing last time, the student teacher mantra, we could say, would be just a perfect way to begin. And it's also um, lovely to reflect on that mantra. And here we are, you know, sitting in the year 2008 in a land far distant from uh, Mother India. And we're about to recite something that's 5,000 years old that is recited at the beginning of an interchange of knowledge. And, well, <laughs> my Sanskrit is decent in approximately the same way. And what's interesting about this particular um, mantra, it, it, it's a familiar mantra. I think a lot of the listeners out there will know this mantra. It's popular in the West. Uh, classes are started with this, yoga classes, all kinds of classes. And it's done in the context of one teacher and many students. And yet the actual structure of this mantra, if you actually break down the, the grammar, it's done in, the, in what's known as the dual in Sanskrit. There's actually a form when it's two people involved. When one person, two people, many people, there's three different uh, vachanas. Uh, as we say in Sanskrit. So this is specifically in this dual, implying that the actual force of the tradition is more this um, transmission of one-to-one, student-to-teacher. And the the mantra, uh, even if we are doing one-to-many, the mantra at least reminds us, uh, you know, of that importance. So... um, yeah, so as, as I, as I, uh, as I chant this, uh, we can think in terms of how many times has this been said? And every time it's said, we're building on that foundation of how many times it's been said. And so the power of that also, I think, helps propel, uh, the knowledge across the chasm of time and space in place. Okay, so here we go. Om Sahana Vavatu 
Sahanaukunaktu, Sahaviryam Karavavahai, Tejasvinavadhi Tamastu, Madhidvishavahai, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. And the translation of this is, May the Spirit indeed protect us both. May it nourish both of us. Together, may we understand what we study. May our study be brilliant. May we agree with each other and not speak ill of each other. Om, peace, 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 unto all the three sources of karma. Three sources of karma. So that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Subject of another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) The other part that I find that is so amusing... I, you know, the listeners to my other podcast will know that I enjoy the sense of humor of the Vedic tradition, and I, th- I find it very amusing that 5,000 years ago, um, students not getting along and fighting was still an issue. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, an and that, truth. So, it's very funny, and that, and that concept has to get repeated every single time. Right. You know, that, that idea. <laughs> it is so as since we started with this mantra, then uh, let's explore a little bit the idea of how is this tradition preserved? How is it structured so that it passes along sure. uh, its wisdom uh, intact? You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the necessity for that and the um, the way East meets West and how that kind of transmission may alter or change and the concerns and the strengths and all of that. We spent a fair amount of time on last talk discussing this. But I didn't really get to sort of the central triangle, the triad of this uh, of this tradition and how it's transmitted. And it's interesting, the idea of a triangle. You know, if this is something that pops up in all kinds of ways through all kinds of uh, functions in society. You know, so, supposedly we have uh, a balance of a triangle in our government, right? Yes, supposedly. Supposedly. Um, The the recent Supreme Court um, decision kind of spoke to that, you know, the judicial coming in with with, uh, an override on executive and even legislative. So ideally, that kind of uh, check and balance, it's a check and balance system. And the tradition has that check and balance system. Mm-hmm. And the way the triangle works um, in tradition is it's the triangle of teacher. We could say guru, although there, there are different categories of teachers, and I definitely want to address that because we're talking about not everyone studies in that very direct relationship. So what right. about that? So we'll definitely get to that. But teacher of some sort and at the highest level, guru. Student of some sort, and at the highest level, shishya, which is the kind of technical name for the student of students, we could say. And then the shastra, the the um, precepts that have been uh, codified, codified in some way, written down in some way, or or chanted in some way, some um, touching in point uh, that's separate from the teacher and the student. And that particular structure is very stable. 
Now, why all three? Well, if you have teacher and student only, without uh, the principles of whatever it is uh, you're working with, for us, Jyotish Shastra, the cognitions of the Rishis, uh, with respect to what the cosmic patterns mean in the life of man. So that ha- that eventually was oral tradition uh, originally, of course, but eventually that got written down and it became a guide, right? A kind of a, a signpost. Sure. So let's say you're absenting that. You don't have that. And you have a teacher who basically says, well, I know all this and I will transmit it to you. That's fine on one level. On another level in the system of checks and balances, what if the teacher is idiosyncratic? You know, what if the teacher is inventing? <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with invention. You know, I, 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 I'm kind of taking a ultra-conservative point of view, you know, just for the sake of, of uh, instruction in posing these things. And absolutely there's room for breathing <laughs> and uh, creativity and all of that. But from the point of view of passing along a tradition over a span of 5,000 years, this, the conservative point of view, you know, is this, that there isn't a check and balance between only teacher-student. The possibility of the tradition kind of um, morphing into something that's unrecognizable or even vitiated, you know, right. destroyed in some way, uh, becomes heightened when we have only two of the three. Okay? So now let's go to... Um, Another piece, what about student and Shastra? No teacher. So this, of course, is is very close to how <clears throat> uh, things are operating at the moment. I, I just had a call the other day from a lovely um, woman <clears throat> who was interested in Jyotisha and wanted to know about you know seminars that I give her, this or that. And I invited her to come and meet me. And she said, well, recommend two or three books first. So, you know, that I, I, I know something before I come and see you. So, you know, this is, and there's, again, nothing um, intrinsically wrong with that. It's just that over time, you know, over, this is what we're looking at with the, with perpetuating a tradition. Uh, what happens is if a student reads a book, and then especially if the student tries to read something as densely constructed as a Jyotish Shastra, then the book doesn't announce to the student, guess what, you didn't understand me there. There's no way for the student to really assess whether or not they fully understood. So that's number one. Number two, the way Shastra is put together, it's like a telegram. And I don't know, I may have used this example last time, but if I did, repetition's part of the tradition. Uh, if you receive a telegram that says, Rome, Friday, bring book. Rome, New York, Rome, <laughs> Italy. This Friday, next Friday, Friday a year from now, what book? Check book? <laughs> yes. Right, book? right, right. right. So the and deliberately, you know, for very good reasons, Shastra's written this way, telegram style. Why? 
because it was assumed that student book would not be uh, the operating principle, that it would be the three. And it would be the job of the teacher to spin out one tiny little piece. You know, one, you know, they're, they're called uh, shlokas. They're also called in some um, uh, particular works, they're called sutras, which means threads. So it's kind of unraveling these threads. You could take, you know, a year on one little uh, aphorism with all kinds of examples. This was an oral tradition. It was efficient. And when it got written down, um, it had to be written down in um, in brevity in order, again, for it to get effectively handed on, uh, down. So there isn't every possible way of explaining a particular um even something simple like moon represents manas. Moon right. represents manas. Manas is not mind. It's not that one word mind that we see as a translation. So then it's up to the teacher to explain all the ramifications. What does manas mean? You know, homeostasis, hormonal system, balance, uh, habits and conditioning, memory, perception, integrating what comes in through the senses. It's a big program, that one little word. So this is, and then how does that get used in a chart? How does manas get disturbed? What are the implications for this person with a disturbed manas? What about this person with their chart? It goes on and on and on. So, so the, the, shast- the shastras are, in in that sense, they're like they're like the teacher's notes. Um, and it, it, since this is all based in a, a uh, an oral tradition. Um, this is just the the little reminders um, for the teacher on which they can expound, right? Yes, but I'd say it has more teeth than that. It's the signposts. Okay. It's, it's like you walk along a hiking trail, mm-hmm. and you, you follow those, you know, those little uh, groups of stones, you mm-hmm. know, to make sure you're going the right way. You know, so it's it's also that. You know, uh, we're going to have a whole discussion. Uh, this is one of the things I'm one of the things I'm so excited about um, talking about is how is Shastra put together to create emphasis. A lot of Westerners looking at you know Jyotisha Shastra among others get uh, put off because they can't enter it in a way that makes sense. The language seems archaic, uh, hyperbolic, even. Um, it doesn't seem organized in a friendly way, but there's a code. <laughs> there's actually keys to that castle of Shastra. And, and that, I think, will be, um, I think, a very uh, fun and interesting and hopefully eye-opening discussion. But anyway, yes, you're right. It, it is, it's kind of cliff notes for the teacher, <laughs> uh, signposts for the teacher, and also for the student, you know, the the guide, the, when teacher-student are the only two there, that can be a problem. But with Shastra, the student can also learn to verify, okay, is this what, you know, are these the signposts this teacher is following? But then the flip side, as I mentioned, the student and the Shastra only, then there's the possibility of missing, majorly missing, all of the uh, filling all the interpretation, all of the cultivation, uh, that's the responsibility of the teacher. Why in this chart does the moon operate this way, representing manas, 
And why in this chart does the moon operate another way, representing Manas? No way can Shastra or any other book cover the cosmic kaleidoscope, all the possibilities. That is, in fact, the main job between teacher-student is not so much the recitation of principles like a, you know, a scientific learn this, 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 this. It's the cultivation of how to apply those principles creatively, deeply, uh, with great insight and great judgment in the huge, endless variety of permutations that you'll be called upon to do in the application of those principles. That is the art. Right, and and I think I think it's it's synthesis that the teacher, you, you, you know, the book is just a collection of uh, of facts in a sense, um, maybe more than that. But but it's the it, watching the teacher put them together is how I always learned so much more than the you know the quote studying that I've done. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So therefore, student book. Uh, is not stable in terms of the perpetuation um, of a tradition like this. So teacher-student only, without the precepts, without the agama, without the tradition, um, unstable, student book, uh, unstable. What about teacher and book? <laughs> no student, okay? So the, the duty, actually, of the highest level of teacher, guru, is to find that student or those students who will perpetuate the tradition. Because if you have teacher book, no student, then you get uh, the dying out of, a, of, you know, of a line of, uh, you know, of, of preservation. The preservation goes away. And but, yes. No, I was going to say. I think. I think the other aspect of that is that um, it, it takes the process of teaching. Um, and working with students for the teacher to perfect his own knowledge. I mean, anybody that's taught anything, as I'm certain, had the experience that, you know, they thought they knew it until they started to teach it, and then they really started to learn. Absolutely. So that, so Absolutely. In addition to the preservation of the knowledge, that's also, uh, it, I think the teaching process gives the knowledge richness for the person who has it. There is no question about it. Um, I think there's a saying: "Those who teach are twice blessed." Right. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful saying, and 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 those of us that teach live that. I mean, every time I teach, every time I tutor, and teachers often put their students in the position of teaching something that they know very well. The students don't know that well. Right. <laughs> That's a way of of completely um, uh, ensuring, <laughs> unless that person is comfortable feeling like a fool, that they're going to own that subject. You know, I got put in that position with Sanskrit. Um, I learned Sanskrit. I thought I learned Sanskrit until I was asked to teach it, and uh, it was a harrowing experience, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> but it changed my life, so I'm very grateful. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to just comment um, briefly in this regard about the, this this um, idea of teacher-student and the fact that it just is impossible for the huge majority of us to 
have that very traditional relationship. You had brought this up last time, uh, and basically we do what we can. And it's not like that's a problem. You know, the teacher of teachers and the student of students, that's, that's rare. That's rare. And, and precious and important that that happen at least in some generation, uh, or in each generation in order to propagate this. But it's a very kind tradition. You know, sometimes I, I feel when I talk about it, I make it sound, you know, maybe too, um, uh, structured or, or, um, fierce in a way. And maybe I feel fierce about it, so that comes across. But it's, there's, there's great compassion, there's great kindness in this tradition, there's great allowances for whatever it is a person can do. So someone who has a spark in them, an interest in this, and, you know, they're not in a position, either by inclination or responsibilities in this life, to just go running off and find a teacher of teachers. No problem. There's layers of teachers as there are layers of students. So there's the casual, and these are all, this is all um, taken into account in the tradition. It's named, the, the kinds of teachers, the kinds of students. You know, I don't know if we want to go into that detail of how they're named, but there are layers of teachers, layers of students, um, an organization of which students with which teachers, the teachers that teach facts, you know, perhaps a more limited function rather than the big, huge vision which comes with the guru, higher level of, of teachers that teach lower levels of teachers, and all of those are kind of matched up because in the Sampradaya, the gift of the essence of what is being taught is given uh, appropriately to to those at whatever level they are, structured for that. And so all of us can take a lot of uh, comfort in that. Um, if it's appropriate for us to go away for a weekend some point and gain some vision of what is this Jyotish and that's what we can do, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's awakening something. So um, I wanted to just be really clear that this doesn't require everyone to suddenly take on a strain uh, in there. Oh, I'm not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. No, you know, it's not my intention. My intention is to sort of lay out the, the vision so that there is an awareness of how this knowledge came and why it has been able to perpetuate uh, over these many years. It's a living tradition. It's the other thing um, I'd like to uh, talk about the word that's often used is that Jyotisha and subjects like this, they're vidyas. Vidya. Mm-hmm. Vidya is a cognate of um, vid, to know, and the word veda uh, is a derivative of that as well, knowledge, deep knowledge. So what is vidya? I, I think in really understanding, we hear about the Jyotir vidya. And it's beautifully uh, portrayed as a feminine presence, you know, as a Devi, who who comes and brings her grace to those who are cultivating this knowledge and allows the student who is encountering all the possible permutations to sort of leap that gap between is this one or that one. Because 
the Jyotirvidya, along with Saraswati, who I talked about last time, creates that knowingness deep within the consciousness, known as Nyat, that that um, atomic level, uh, Mr. Rao is a teacher we've shared in common then. Mm-hmm. He right. talked about the atomic level of Jyotish. Right. And right. that we can think of as this word Nyat, to coming from from a wisdom with an integrated, cultivated judgment within, a discrimination of Viveka. So so the gift of the Jyotirvidya is this concept of discrimination, cultivated judgment. Uh, a kind of old world science, we could say. So if we wanted to come up with a uh, maybe working definition of Vidya, I would put forward that it's an integration. An integration of something that's principle-based, something that's observable, pattern recognition, something we'll talk about a lot more in a little bit, without losing that underlying mystery. And in fact, that's what makes the vidyas so compelling, that they are this perfect blend of mystery and science. And mankind has always been a creature that stands in the middle, so to speak, between these two ends of the seesaw. And cultures of man, societies of man, have always been either at the balance point, unusual, it's unusual for anything to be at the balance point, or at one end or another of the seesaw. So man in early days dwelled mainly within the mystery, and yet, because man is this perfect blend of mystery and ordering, he sought, she sought, they sought, to order their world, to observe things that were reliable, that were eternal. Sun comes up, the months pass, this is the growing season. This is what the animals do in order to track them. This is when the berries uh, are ripe and we can gather them. This is science, so to speak, and ordering. And as man progressed and became more principle-based, the pendulum starts to, to shift until we have um, modern society, you know, once again, where the the pendulum's gone quite far in terms of discounting the mystery. In fact, uh, ridiculing it in some sense. But what is mystery really? Mystery is really something that is beyond our understanding. That's beyond our, usually, our immediate perception. That which we can't immediately perceive is mysterious. But is that mysterious to everyone? Or is it that there's orders of reality that are subtler and subtler and subtler? And what makes the vidyas so compelling is that they blend, they uh, integrate that which isn't readily seen with ordering principles. Now, one of the uh, concerns of people coming into um a tradition like this is that it's ethnocentric. And so an interesting uh, question to ask ourselves, is Jyotisha too ethnocentric? And, you know, the answer to that lies in understanding 
that all of this tradition is considered sanatana, eternal. Mm. And yes, it's true that this beautiful sampradaya that we've been discussing uh, today and this concept of vidya that we've been discussing today is has been um, protected, we could say. It's been the, the, the uh, India has been the custodians of this particular expression of this wisdom. But the concept of sanatana would be that there are principles that are eternally true. And maybe they're expressed and maintained by this particular tradition. It's kind of a difference between Veda, as in the Vedic tradition, capital V of India, and a deeper meaning of, not a deeper, but an alternative look at Veda, maybe small v. So not particularly that tradition, but Veda is deep knowledge, Mm -hmm. which is Sanatana. So Native Americans, they deal with Veda. They deal with eternally true principles of nature that they can uh, predict, rely on, and old world science. It involves both ordering their world and mystery. And that's what these subjects, these vidyas, um, deal with, and that's why we love them, we're fascinated by them. They're um, eternally compelling because at their core is something that is not so easily perceptible, that is beyond the senses, that's adrishta. So in wrapping up our, our thoughts about sampradaya, about vidya, um, I'd like to just think about the qualities of vidya, because it, it will tie everything together. Something that's vidya, you know, I, I, I always uh, hesitate to use the English article, a. Uh, if I say something, right, is, right, right, it, right, it means that. Yes. <laughs> we wind up with a negation. Right. So uh, something that's vidya always refers back to its source. That's one of its um, most important characteristics. It always respects its source. So again, it, in the Vedic Sampradaya, it would be respecting all of the teachings, all of the agama, all of the uh, all of the precepts, all of the shastra. But any vidya in any tradition calls on its source. And we'll see, you can observe that in all different cultures. It also, vidya, pursues underlying principles. This is this idea, again, of the integration of an old world science, mystery principles. And it's characterized by being able to uh, categorize everything. This is the Ganapati principle. Because the correct categorization of things allows us to align with our world. It would be a very sad thing if people didn't know the difference between uh, poison and food. <laughs> That's not apt categorization. Or between male and female. Or between uh, night and day. So this idea of categorizing the Ganapati principle allows us to function in the world. But finally, and very important, the concept of creativity. So vidya also supports, along with knowingness, along with integration of principle and mystery, 
the idea of a freshness, uh, an ability that, that knowledge of categories allows uh, a shuffling and an alignment of them that gives rise to a constant uh, freshness and, and variety and creativity in what gets expounded and taught and passed on. So this is not, in any sense of the word, a stultified tradition, a closed tradition. It's it's like a, a Hart always describes it as a as a V that starts with with a a point value, a focus, and opens out. And you know, if you follow that metaphor of a V opening out, it can open to infinity, and everything gets included in it, as opposed to starting with, you know, kind of a mishmash of everything, right. and the V going the opposite direction, where you wind up being boxed in, you know, to that point value and limited. In fact, the, the V going the other direction is a limiting thing. So this tradition, this beautiful tradition. Think of it that way. I think it's such a beautiful um, uh, idea. And, of course, vidya starts with V. So, so what a perfect way <laughs> right. uh, to end. So think of it as we start with a, you know, a, a focused, uh, beautiful set of principles uh, based in, in that concept of discrimination and cultivation of judgment. And from there, the whole thing opens out to infinity.